renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim. Hey everyone, it's Neil Rockheim, your host of Killer Cross-Examination. And um, I want you to imagine that you're actually sitting there, you're actually at the scene of, a, of an arrest, you're actually overhearing a police officer actually encounter a, a, a young man, about 18 years old, uh, could be your son, could be my son, someone who's just about to embark on a, seems like a college career, small young guy, um, he's thin, He's got a lot of hair. It's all sort of pushed to the side, though, in the way that kids sort of wear their hair nowadays, you know, kind of floppy, but 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 organized. Um, he can't grow really facial hair. It's really peach fuzz. And his clothes are, um, you know, like a sweatshirt, but like a hoodie. I mean, he's a kid. He's an 18-year-old kid. And you see him standing there in handcuffs, and you hear a police officer say to him, if I find something that you didn't tell us about, I'm going to tear your house apart. If I find something you didn't tell us about, I'm going to shred your house. A police officer, a sworn police officer with this young kid, this young 18-year-old kid, telling him that the search that he's about to conduct at this young kid's house down the street, a few miles away, where his mom and his grandmother and, and, and younger brother are, that he better tell the officer now everything that the officer is going to find at his house. And if they find something that he doesn't and hasn't said is there, they're going to tear your house apart. I can tell you my reaction. Because that's what happened to a young client of ours. My reaction was, I, I, as I'm listening to the audio and the video of the officer actually saying this to my client, my reaction was that the, the, the blood sort of came, the color sort of came and drained out of my face. My jaw slackened. And I sat there and thought to myself, I couldn't have just heard that. I couldn't have just fucking heard this officer actually threatened to tear my client's house apart. And so I rewound it. We rewound the, the audio and video and listened again. And sure enough, we heard it right. And I thought to myself, it's come to this point that a police officer can actually arrest a young person, an 18-year-old, could be a 28-year-old, 38-year-old, 48-year-old, doesn't matter the age, but in this case, an 18-year-old, arrest an 18-year-old, rip them out of the car, put them in handcuffs, and then literally say to the kid, I'm on my way to search your house, and if you don't buy, find something that you didn't tell us about, I'm going to tear your house apart. In other words, I'm going to tear your mom's house apart. I'm going to tear your grandmother's house apart. I'm going to tear your brother's house apart. I'm going to tear that fucking place apart. I was shocked, appalled, angered, disappointed. My emotions went all over the place, ranging from anger and hostility to I wanted to, to call up the officer and just say, what the fuck is wrong with you? I want to tell the guy to resign. 
I want to call up the police department and file a complaint. I wanted to call the prosecutor and tell the prosecutor, you know what? Like, did you listen to this? Did you hear this? But I waited. And I waited for my opportunity in court to question the officers about this. And this is the subject of killer cross-examination, this episode of killer cross-examination. It's about the power that prosecutors have and their ability to sort of just, I guess, put blinders on or their ability to spin or their ability to sort of white out or to make peace with police misconduct like that. Because I can tell you that every single judge so far that has listened to that audio and video, every single officer and every lawyer other than the prosecutors that I've seen on this case, every single person that I've seen actually uh, uh, has been appalled. And even the prosecutor in the case who's handling this case has said, you know what, it bothered me. It, it was wrong. I, 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 I don't condone it. I don't agree with it. But then attempted to move past it, to, to white out over it, to sort of, if you would, just isolate it and compartmentalize it. And each and every time we've been in court, I've said, no, 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 stop, stop. This sort of police misconduct, threatening a young man in order to get a confession out of him, threatening a young man in order to, to get him to, to tell you what he may or may not have in his house, threatening him is wrong. I don't care what he's done, but a threat of that sort is intolerable. There's no amount of spin, there's no amount of explanation, there's no amount of compartmentalization. The legal system in all respects, when it sees this, should do a hard stop, a halt, and say, in full engine stop. You know what they used to do, like on one of those cruise ships, engine stop, full stop, full stop. Like you're seeing an iceberg, full stop. We got a full stop and we see this sort of misconduct. No, not wash over it, not white over it, not attempt to, to, to compartmentalize it and then to continue on with the case. This sort of misconduct, from in my opinion, and the opinion of many of my peers, this sort of misconduct, when you see it, this, this consumes the case like a, like a cancer. We can't count on the police officers, those that are here to enforce the law, those who are here to protect all of us to actually apply the law fairly, then we can't expect anybody to actually honor and live up to the, the, the law or the legal standards or certain rules in society. And we, we took this issue to court. And we won. And then the prosecutor at the next level, he actually asked the judge to, again, to look past it, say, Yes, I know that that happened. I know that that happened. I don't condone it, he says, and we don't intend to use that statement in court, but we still want to continue our prosecution of this young man. We still want the evidence that we obtained from searching his house to come in because we had a search warrant. We still want to be able to get the stuff that we found in his house. We would have found it anyway, they say. Doesn't matter that the officer actually, before they actually searched the house, before they actually went in, before they set one little toe inside my client's house. Doesn't matter that they actually engage in this misconduct first, the prosecutor said, because they were going there anyway. 
The argument to this day still, still stupefies me, still blown away by it. So when you're a lawyer and you encounter this, you have a choice to make. And when you're a prosecutor and you encounter this, you have a choice to make. You could just, you could put your foot down. And when you get a case like this, where you see this kind of misconduct, you don't have to sit there and attempt to justify it or explain it or to excuse it or to, to and, and believe it or not, we actually filed legal challenges based upon this and our cross-examination that followed. We actually got evidence suppressed, which we should have. We got counts dismissed, which we should have. We went to the next highest court. The prosecutor tried to get the counts reinstated tried to argue that they would have found the evidence anyway and that while they don't condone this, they kept saying that over and over again. Like, I don't condone this. I don't condone this. I don't condone this. I don't approve of this. I don't condone this. Well, you know what? Those are just words. The next, what follows is, was always a but. It's like, we don't condone this, but. We don't approve of this, but. How about just end the sentence at we don't approve this or we don't condone this and not have a comma after that with a but? Because the but was always, but we have ways to get the evidence in and we want it. To, we want the evidence anyway. We want the evidence against them. And that judge in that next highest court actually said, well, you know what? I'm really not inclined to, to admit the evidence. I'm not inclined to um, permit the search. I'm bothered by what the officer did, but I'm going to send the case back down and let you guys continue with litigating some of this stuff. So we did. I swore I'm going to, I'm going to fight this issue. I'm going to expose this. I'm going to shine a light on this. This is the sort of stuff that killer cross-examination, the cross-examination style that I developed was designed to flush out and to, to highlight. And we did. And we went back to court and the officer who actually uh, made these threats, was called to the witness stand, and believe it or not, the prosecutor asked him again with the, we don't, you know, I'm not condoning this. But the officer asked him again, what was the reason why you said what you said? said, Sergeant, why did you ask him? Why did you say that to him? As though the words themselves don't actually tell us the reason. As though the words themselves somehow need explanation. Why did you hold a gun to his head? What was your, did you have a good reason for holding a knife to his throat? It was like, if I find something that you didn't tell us about, I'm going to tear your house apart. If I find something you didn't tell us about, I'm going to shred the house. You know what the kid's reaction was? His face turned white. He almost lost his, you could see he's almost ready to pass out to the point that the officers had to have him sit down and offered him water. He then had the wherewithal because he knew something serious was going on and his mother and grandmother were potentially involved, not involved in the crime, but that they could be impacted by it. And he asked to, to speak with a lawyer. Was he said, yeah, you can talk to a lawyer? No. He was told, you can talk to him after you've spoken with a detective. Can I make a phone call at least? You want to call his mother and grandmother? No, you can make a phone call after you've spoken with, with a detective. That's not how it works. You can have a lawyer anytime you want. You can speak with anybody. You don't have to sit down and talk to a detective. You can have a lawyer anytime you want. You need to be given the chance to make a phone call anytime you want. But when the prosecutor asked the, the, the witness, she asked this officer, oh, did you have a reason? Dear Mr. Officer, did you have a reason why you said this? Did you have a reason why you used these words? Yes. Officer safety. Now, I'm not making light of officer safety. Officers have a right to go to work, to have their to get their job done, to be safe, and to, to leave work and go home at the end of the day, just like the rest of us. And of course, their job is dangerous. 
But the, sort of the, the pact they make is that they understand that their job is dangerous and they agree that they're not going to violate constitutional rights and they're not going to engage in threats, coercion, intimidation, harassment. They're not going to threaten people. They're not going to threaten people with property destruction in order to, 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 to do their job. It's against the law. But believe it or not, this question was put to the officer. Did you have a reason? Yes, officer safety. Officer safety. We always want to know whether we rent, we, we raid a house. We want to know whether or not there's something of danger in the house, you know, like a dog or uh, a booby trap. Well, he didn't ask him if there was a dog in the house. He didn't ask him if there was a house's booby trap. For crying out loud, you did surveillance. You knew that his mother and grandmother and younger brother lived there. You knew that it wasn't like the the the, the site of a of like a motorcycle gang. It was a little suburban house, a one-story house with a basement in a very nice suburban neighborhood. You, you did surveillance on it. You knew there weren't like booby traps and, you know, like spring-loaded guns. And you saw people coming and going, like the mother and grandmother. In fact, when the police entered into the house, the mother and grandmother were literally there. Both of them sort of crestfallen in there. Again, all the color drained from their face as the police enter into their house. But you knew. They knew. This wasn't for officer safety. If you want to know if there's a... If you want to know if there's something there, you could Mirandize him because he's in custody. You could choose to Mirandize him and ask him those questions. They didn't do that. And to then come and attempt to put a spin on it just shows you how powerful prosecutors are. And even more importantly, how when prosecutors get in on a case, some, not all, but some, Maybe even it's not their own choice. Maybe they're driven by the direction of one of their supervisors. But some prosecutors are so committed to winning, are so committed to victory, that they can overlook justice. I mean, why even ask the officer? What's the reason why you threaten the young man? I mean, trying to even characterize it, even offering the officer a chance to, to give some explanation for this blatant misconduct, this coercion, this threat, makes it seem like in some way, shape, or form, you're willing to condone it. You wouldn't give someone a chance to explain it. Why did you beat your wife? Did you have a reason? Why did you threaten your child? Why did you use those words with your child? There's no excuse. And I'm sick and tired of, of prosecutors trying to come up with spin or excuses or explanations for misconduct. Now, maybe some line prosecutors, the prosecutors that are on the line that have these cases and are trying these cases in court, maybe deep down in their heart, I want to believe that deep down inside, some of them know that if they could do what they wanted, they would say, this misconduct is intolerable and they're going to put a stop to it. And maybe they're just doing what their supervisors, their direct supervisors, supervisors above them are directing that they do. 
I'd like to believe that. But there's no excuse for this. Why did you do that? Stop asking that question. Just giving the officer a chance to explain it, to try to put a spin on it. Well, we did it for officer safety. Really? When the officer testified to that and the prosecutor attempted to argue that, my eyebrows went up and I swear the judge that was listening to the arguments, his eyebrows went up too. This for officer safety? I find something that didn't tell that you didn't tell us about, I'm gonna tear your house apart. If I find something you didn't tell us about, I'm gonna shred your house. That's a, that's un-American. It's not legal. It's bullying. It's a threat. And the legal system should have no room for it. You know, what's, what's amazing and what I've seen, the idea that when this young man, he, he asked for a lawyer or said, when can I call a lawyer? That should be enough too. Can I make a phone call? That should be enough. The fact that the young man had the ability to sort of clear his throat, given these horrible circumstances and given the threat that he just experienced and the fear, the thoughts of his poor grandmother sitting there and his mother sitting there and the police breaking into the house or barging in and in the, the impact, the emotional, physical impact that that would have on his mother and, and, and grandmother and how much, at, uh, how at the, how vulnerable they and, and, and their, their domicile is. I mean, I told you that that had a physical impact on him, but the fact that he's sitting there and he's feeling that and physically feeling that to the point that he almost seems like he gets physically sick and he's troubled. But then he asks for a, to speak to a lawyer, or says, you know, when can I call a lawyer? That should be enough, too. I think a prosecutor looking at that should say, you know, I'm not going to get hung up on the particular word choice that he used. This young man clearly knew that he wanted to speak to a lawyer, and he said so. And given the circumstances, a prosecutor could say, I'm going to respect that, and I'm not going to seek to introduce any of the statements that he made then or later on or ever. Or I'm not going to seek to introduce any of the evidence that they found in this house because of what the police did at the scene. A prosecutor has that power. They have the power to say, I'm not going to introduce this evidence. You want to know what kind of lesson, what kind of message that would send to a police department? Imagine you're the prosecutor sitting down and you're talking to the police department and saying, hey, officer, guess what? And it almost seemed like right out of top. You know, when Jester comes over and talks to Maverick, that's some of the best flying I've seen yet, right up until you got yourself killed. Imagine the prosecutor, imagine the power of the prosecutor looking, sitting the officers down and saying, you know, I know you brought me this case, but the moment that you threaten that young man, my interest in admitting evidence from that point on went from 100 to zero. My willingness to admit any evidence that occurred after you threatened him became non-existent. I became an un unwilling. I'm not going to be a witting participant 
and trying to, to get around your behavior. You, officer, ruined this case. You ruined this case. You ruined, you spoiled the search of that house. Now, you want to have a police officer walk away from a scene and learn. You want to teach officers how to to, to reform and to, to honor and respect constitutional rights and not to, to overstep bounds. Don't have judges dismiss the cases or suppress evidence. Don't just have defense lawyers be the ones that are motivated and motivate and propel and compel the legal system to, to suppress evidence and have counts dismissed. Have the prosecutor be that first filter. Imagine those officers walking away from that scene saying, man, we must have really fucked up. There's a prosecutor who's not willing to pursue any of the evidence that we found after we threatened him. Yeah, I know we had a search warrant. And I know that we could make arguments, but he wasn't even willing to even attempt to admit this evidence. And he could have. He could have tried to make this argument or that argument or this exception or try to get around it. He wasn't even one to do that. So guess what, guys? We better never do that again because that prosecutor has just sent us a message that we better play by the rules. And if we don't play by the rules, he's not going to tolerate it at all. That is how you actually teach and have teachable moments. That's how these sorts of things resonate with police officers in the legal system so that they don't make the same mistakes, that they don't commit misconduct. You have the prosecutors make the, the their own decision, inspired by doing what's right, doing what's just. And when the prosecutor on his own looks the police in the eye and says, we're not going to admit this evidence against you, or we're not going to admit this evidence. I'm not going to let this stand. I'm not going to do it. I'm only going to do this. I won't do that. I'm not going to even attempt to make any arguments about the admission of evidence in this case. That's a new officer. Those officers walk away, not just with their tails between their legs, but that leaves an indelible lifelong impression in their minds that these prosecutors will not put up with any misconduct. And that if they engage in misconduct, there is a price to be paid. And the price to be paid is that their case will not be prosecuted or the evidence won't be introduced. That's how you learn. That's how you teach. And by doing that, you teach, you reward the rest of the officers, the rest of the police departments who do things the right way. And you gain credibility with lawyers like me when you say, I'm pursuing this case for the right reasons. I'm pursuing the introduction of evidence in this case for the right reasons. You gain credibility with judges when you don't push and play this bad hand. Because then every time you walk into court, that judge knows that you mean what you say, that you are someone who's interested in not just getting convictions, but you're interested in fairness and justice. That you are, in fact, the lawyer. You represent the people, all of the people, including the accused. This fight continues. The prosecution in this case is still seeking to admit evidence still seeking to have all of the counts reinstated, and I'm still fighting tooth and nail to prevent it. Why? Because it's the right thing 
for us to do. How am I going to do it? We're going to continue our quest. The use of killer cross-examination. The use of the officer's own words. We're not going to offer any attempts or we're not going to condone any attempts to, to justify this behavior. Instead, we just continue to highlight it over and over and over again. You want to deter police misconduct, then you exclude the evidence and you dismiss the counts. I believe that police reform is one of the things that motivated many people to come to the polls in 2020, in November of 2020. I think we're seeing a new generation of prosecutors. Prosecutors in different parts of the country, different parts of, of different counties in different parts of the country who are running on police reform. And I don't hear all of everything everybody's saying about this and that. I just focus on these real life, real world cases. And what I think to myself is that this sort of misconduct this sort of misconduct, this sort of police misconduct has no place in the legal system. It has no place in the criminal justice system. And boy, would I like to see the day when it wasn't just me standing there trying to argue that not only was this intolerable, but that evidence should be excluded, that it, by the exclusion of evidence, we would deter police misconduct. But boy, it would be great if it wasn't just me if I could put my arm around the, the virtual, virtually put my arm around the prosecutor and the prosecutor put his virtual arm around me and said, I joined Mr. Rockind in that, in that request. You don't have to wait for him to actually move to have this evidence suppressed or excluded. I, the prosecutor, I'm going to do it myself. And when we see that take place, we're going to see real police reform. We're going to see real criminal justice reform. And we're going to see real justice. Justice that we can be confident that comes out of our legal system. This is Neil Rockine, another episode of Killer Cross-Examination. If you like the episode, if you enjoy it, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe to it here. Subscribe to it on YouTube. Go to your all platforms, whichever platform you like, Apple, Spotify, Google, any of the other ones, subscribe, like, give us a review and tell us whether we're helping you not only improve your law practice, but whether we're improving the legal system, because I believe we are. This is again, Neil Rockheim. Thanks for tuning in. Your host, the nationally renowned criminal defense attorney, Neil Rockheim.